So in this lesson, I would like to look at the ministry of another great woman in Scripture. And this woman is Huldah. Huldah the prophetess. When you mention the name Huldah, people give a blank look on their face. I was raised in a church where we attended a gathering, a church service of sorts, at least three times a week. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And on top of that, I went to what was called Sunday school where we learned about biblical historical accounts like Daniel in the lion's den and Noah and the ark. I'm thankful for all of that. And I learned by memory all the books of the Bible from an early age. And I could quote a lot of Scripture from memory even as a little boy because our whole life was centered around going to church. But I don't remember the first time that I ever heard of Huldah the prophetess. But as I think back in my life, I can pretty much guarantee that at the age of 20, if you were to mention Hulda to me, I would not have known who she was. How many of you who grew up in church ever learned or heard a sermon about Hulda? No hands. How many of you knew who Hulda was before I mentioned her in this series? Anybody? Got a couple of hands. Three hands, I think I saw. How many of you are hearing about Hulda for the first time? Let the record show most of the hands. And the congregation went up, and we got a pretty good crowd here today. So the next time you discuss Scripture with a believer that you meet, you can do a little experiment and ask them if they know who Hulda is and see what they say. Well, I plan on changing all of that with this lesson, or at least I plan on teaching about Hulda today and then placing this lesson online for the world to hear so that people will learn about this great woman of Yahweh. She was used by Yahweh during a time of distress in the nation of Judah and also as part of a great revival in the nation of Judah. Yahweh used Huldah to direct the highest men in the nation. She told them what would happen and what they ought to do. This account begins with a young king named Josiah. And it's found in the book of 2 Kings 22. Now, Josiah began to rule in the nation of Judah when he was eight years old. Now, that's awful young for a king to start ruling. I know that. But how it worked in ancient Israel was generally the sons of kings would take over when their father died. Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, had been a king for 55 years in Judah. Manasseh was one of the most wicked kings that Judah ever experienced. And you can imagine had to be under the rule of an evil king for 55 years. A lot of damage. You can read about him in 2 Kings 21. When Manasseh died, Ammon, Manasseh's son, reigned in his stead. Ammon was also an evil king. He did not do that which was right in the eyes of Yahweh. By the way, evil here means that these kings did not govern by the law that Yahweh gave through Moses. That's the Bible definition of evil. Not governing by the law that Yahweh gave through Moses. Well, Ammon only ruled as king for two years, but he walked in all the ways of his wicked father, Manasseh, which was a bad thing. And when Ammon died, Josiah took over at eight years old. And Josiah ended up reigning for 31 years 
And the plan was probably that Ammon would live longer than that and Josiah would take over at an older age, but that just isn't how it worked. Josiah was different, though, from his father, Ammon, and his grandfather, Manasseh. He did not walk in their ways. For 57 years, Judah had been ruled by wickedness, but 2 Kings 22, verse 2, tells us that Josiah did that which was right in the sight of Yahweh and that he walked in all the ways of his ancestor or his father, David. He didn't turn to the right or the left. That phrase in 2 Kings 22.2, did not turn aside to the right or to the left, that's a direct quotation from Deuteronomy 5.32-33 where we read, Be careful to do as Yahweh your Mighty One has commanded you. You are not to turn aside to the right or the left Follow the whole instruction Yahweh your mighty one has commanded you so that you may live, prosper, and have a long life in the land you will possess. So the way that we judge a king's righteousness is not by how many people liked him or how long he ruled. Remember, 55 years for Manasseh. The way we judge a king's righteousness is by how closely he follows the commandments of Yahweh. And that's really the only thing that Yahweh looks at how close you or anyone walks with him. Now that introduction to King Josiah teaches us that we don't have to follow the path of wickedness or destruction even if our ancestors, our parents or grandparents did. We're not locked into a position just because a family member lived a certain way. Well, my dad did this, my mom did this, so this is just who I am. That's not a proper excuse to continue in wickedness. Josiah served Yahweh in spite of bad examples from his dad and his granddad. Don't ever use bad examples in your life as an excuse to continue down the wrong road. If someone sets you a bad example, use it as a springboard to help you know what not to do in your life. So a parallel text in 2 Kings 22 is 2 Chronicles 34. It's the same account, same king, just a different text in Scripture. And we read there that when Josiah was 16 years old, he began to seek the mighty one of his ancestor David. It's not that he didn't know him prior to 16, but that's when he really got on fire for Yahweh. At the age of 20, he started to clean up Judah and Jerusalem and he did this by removing all the idols that his dad and his granddad had set up. He tore down the pagan altars. He smashed the Asherah poles. And he carved, or excuse me, he ground the carved images to powder. At the age of 26, he began to repair the temple of Yahweh that had been neglected for so many years. Now, Josiah's account also teaches us that we can have a relationship with Yahweh while we're young. We don't have to wait till we're old. All the children in here are just as much a part of this congregation as the adults. And it's usually them that I see praising Yahweh and dancing when we sing songs. And Sometimes I even have them come up to me and ask questions after the sermon, which I love that. Um, and this same goes for the young adults in here, the teenagers and those in their 20s. In 20 years, the children and the young adults in here will, Yahweh's will, carry on this congregation. 
we may have the next king or the next prophetess in our midst and not even know it. Yahweh is working in the lives of our children right now. So we can devote our life to Yahweh even at a young age. If you want to be devoted to something, devote yourself to Yahweh. Let no one despise your youth. In both 2 Kings 22 and 2 Chronicles 34, we read that the young King Josiah, he started to collect money from the people of Israel in order to repair and rebuild the temple that had been neglected and some parts of it in shambles. So he sends his court secretary, Shaphan. He sends Shaphan to Hilkiah. Hilkiah is the high priest of the order of Aaron. And he sends Shaphan in order to give Hilkiah the money to those who were overseeing the work. And the overseers would then give the money to the workers, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons for timber and stone. And the text even says they did not even have to give an account for the workers because they were noblemen. They were trusted with the monetary offerings that they were given. Well, during this time, the high priest Hilkiah tells Shaphan, the court secretary, that he found this book inside of the temple while they were in the process of doing the repairs. Now, evidently, the book had been tucked away somewhere, collecting dust, maybe even with stuff stacked up on it. It was somewhere that had to be cleaned up in order to get to it. Think about going to a storage room that had not been cleaned for 50 years and finding old family items that you didn't know you still had. This is kind of what's going on here. Well, this book is named by Hilkiah the high priest, and it is called the Book of the Law, or literally the Scroll of the Torah, literally from the Hebrew. And Hilkiah tells Shaphan, I have found the Scroll of the Torah, or the Book of the Law, in Yahweh's temple. And he gave it to Shaphan, the court secretary, to read it. That's 2 Kings 22, verse 8. So what we have right here is we have the king of Israel, we have the king's court secretary, and we have the high priest as part of this account. Now that's some pretty prestigious positions in Israel. The king, court secretary, and the high priest. And the king is already said, even prior to finding the scroll of the Torah, the king is already said to have done many lawful things in restoring the nation of Judah to the worship of Yahweh. Remember the tearing down of the idols. He knew to do that. Well, this book of the law is most likely the book that we now call Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a Greek word that means second law, second giving of the law. The Hebrew word for the book is Devarim. And Devarim means words. And it's because the book of Devarim starts off with these be the words or these are the words uh, which Yahweh gave through the man Moses. This was most likely the book of Deuteronomy, as we call it. Uh, you'll find this in Deuteronomy chapter 31, where it's called the book of the law, and it's placed beside the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, inside of it lay the Ten Commandments stones, Aaron's rod that budded, the almond blossoms, and a pot of manna. And right beside the Ark of the Covenant laid the scroll of the Torah written by Prophet Moshe. Deuteronomy is also called this book of the law in Deuteronomy chapters 29 and 30. And specifically in chapter 29, the curses for disobedience to the law are mentioned as part of the writing inside of the book of the law. 
Now that's another clue as to what this lost book was because the curses are what the king centers in on after the book is found. We see this in 2 Kings 22, 10-13, and I'll read. Then Shaphan, the court secretary, told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Then he commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam son of Shaphan, Akbor son of Micaiah, Shaphan the court secretary, and the king's servant, Isaiah, Go and inquire of Yahweh for me, the people, and all Judah about the instruction in this book that has been found. For great is Yahweh's wrath that is kindled against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words of this book in order to do everything written about us. Now the tearing of the clothes by King Josiah is a sign of grief and sorrow. For example, I'll give two of them. When Reuben, in the book of Genesis, Reuben, the oldest child of Jacob Israel, when he found out that his brother Joseph had been taken out of the pit and sold into slavery, Reuben tore his clothes in Genesis 37 because he was sad. He was in grief. There's another account in the book of Joshua where the Israelites are defeated by Ai. And Joshua, the successor to Moses, he falls face down on the ground before Yahweh and tears his clothes, Joshua chapter 7. That shows that the tearing of the clothes can be a sign of penitence and humility before Yahweh. So sadness, loss, regret, penitence, repentance, all of this was going on in Josiah's mind and heart when he heard the words of the book of the law being read by his court secretary. Now, I want you to realize that King Josiah, although he had performed some righteous acts up until this time of hearing the book of the law, like removing the idols in the land, he had not heard all of the words of the law of Yahweh. It was because the nation was in such bad shape and needed to be repaired. Not just the temple needed to be repaired, but the people needed to be repaired. Remember 55 plus 2, 57 years of wicked kings prior to King Josiah. No one had Bibles like we do today. We're so blessed to have Bibles like we do. And the law back then was passed down mostly from word of mouth, from parents to children or from elders to younger people. Since Josiah's dad and granddad were evil kings, Josiah would not have had much passed down to him, at least through his fathers. He could have had, as some commentaries say, some things of righteousness passed down him through his mother's. So when Josiah heard the book of Deuteronomy read out loud to him, he was sad. Because at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 28 and 29, we read this short section about the blessings of Yahweh for obedience. We read it this past Tabernacles, as is our custom every year. And then this really long section in Deuteronomy about the curses for disobedience. And when Josiah heard the cursings that would come upon Israel for forsaking the law, he knew that Yahweh had to be true to His Word, His Word of cursing, just as Yahweh is true to His Word of blessing. So Josiah was in grief and penitence, and he tore his clothes. Josiah knew that the curses were coming, so he tore his clothes in grief when he heard the scroll of the Torah read. Many pastors today do not tear their clothes but they put on their finest suits to tell people we don't need to pay attention to books like Leviticus and Deuteronomy. 
We don't have to keep the Passover. We don't have to eat clean. We don't have to worry about the tassels, the Sabbath, the purity laws, so on and so forth. What a difference between righteous King Josiah and the many false prophets of our day and time. But what about Huldah? I thought you were teaching about Huldah, Brother Matthew. Well, she's next. But in order for you to see the weight of Huldah's ministry, I had to lay the groundwork about King Josiah. Now, we just read a moment ago that when the king heard the words written on the scroll of the Torah, the book of the law, that he gave, the king gave a commandment to five men. He told them to go and inquire of Yahweh for me. That is a fancy way of saying, go ask Yahweh a question. And how did these men go and ask Yahweh a question? Well, the king plus five men makes six men total. You have the king of Judah, righteous king of Judah. You have the high priest in the temple. You have the court secretary and then three other men. And Josiah didn't go to inquire of Yahweh himself. He didn't get on his knees and ask Yahweh what to do. He didn't even go through the high priest. He didn't ask the high priest, what do we need to do, Hilkiah? In order to see what Yahweh said about the matter, in order to ask Yahweh a question, the king sent the men to Huldah, the prophetess. 2 Kings 22, verse 14. So Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to the prophetess Huldah, wife of Shalom, son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the second district. They spoke with her. So the king and five other men inquire of Yahweh through a female prophet. Now I have found in my studies that many commentators give all kinds of excuses for this female prophet. Just like they do with Deborah the prophet and the judge over all of Israel that I talked about last week. A lot of commentators begin by viewing Huldah as a problem to be solved rather than an inspired spokeswoman for the Creator. But if we stick to the text, nothing negative is ever said about Huldah. And really, the text doesn't try to say anything in regards to why the men were sent to a female prophet rather than a male prophet. The commentators try to figure it out, but the text doesn't even go there. It doesn't say anything like that. It's just assumed. She's the prophet. She will tell you what Yahweh says. Why does there have to be some ulterior reason? Why can't we just read this and see that Yahweh speaks His word through women just like He speaks through men? What is significant here is that during this time, there were at least two other prophets that were available to consult. They're more famous than Huldah. Jeremiah and Zephaniah. We know this by reading Jeremiah 1 and Zephaniah 1. That both Jeremiah and Zephaniah's prophetic ministries took place during the time of King Josiah of Judah. So they prophesied during that time. It's even possible that Jeremiah might have been the son of Hilkiah the priest. Uh, commentators disagree. Theologians disagree on that. Some people think he wasn't the son of Hilkiah the high priest, but one of the lower priests among the people. So that's debatable. But it's possible that prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah, was the son of the high priest. Huldah must have been the primary prophet for King Josiah or else he would not have sent these men to her. He must have had great respect for Huldah. 
I want you to notice here that the king did not send Huldah to come to him. He rather sent the men to her. And generally, the people of lower status go to the people of higher status, not the other way around. I could give many examples in the Bible, but think of the Queen of Sheba when she travels to visit to Solomon out of respect to ask him questions. Well, Josiah respects Huldah as the communicator of this scroll of the Torah. She is the prophetess who can tell us what Yahweh says about this situation that we're in. And remember, prophetess or prophet, same office, just a masculine and feminine. Remember all that it entails from a couple messages back when I taught on the office of a prophet. Now, Huldah begins her speech to the men by saying, This is what Yahweh, the mighty one of Israel, says. That's how she starts off, 2 Kings 22, verse 15. Huldah speaks for Yahweh. And she is directing men here as Yahweh's prophet. The men do not balk. The men do not say, no, we need to hear it from another man. They don't say any of that. The high priest, the son of Aaron himself, stands there and receives the message that Yahweh gives to them through a female. Huldah continues in verses 16 through 20. This is what she says, or this is what Yahweh says through Huldah. Verse 16, this is what Yahweh says. I am about to bring disaster on this place and on its inhabitants, fulfilling all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read. Remember, this is a key to the book or the scroll being Deuteronomy because the curses for national disobedience are listed in what book? Book of Deuteronomy, book of Devarim. So it stands to reason that the king heard the curses that were going to come upon the nation for disobedience, which is further proof that it was the book of Deuteronomy that they found in the temple. Verse 17, Because they have abandoned me and burned incense to other mighty ones in order to provoke me with all the work of their hands, my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. So Yahweh had already said, That's it. Judgment is coming. And as Brother Jerry has said in a few of his sermons, that Yahweh's promises are not just with the blessings, they can also be with the cursings as well. If we believe His words of promise about the blessings, we have to believe His words of promise about the cursings. And here we have a situation where Yahweh had already made up His mind and said, this is what's going to happen. Verse 18, Say this to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of Yahweh. And here's where Yahweh shows some mercy because of the way that King Josiah reacted. This is what Yahweh, mighty one of Israel, says, As for the words that you heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before Yahweh when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse. And because you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I myself have heard you declares Yahweh. Therefore I will indeed gather you to your fathers and you will be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster that I am bringing on this place. Then they reported to the king. So Yahweh was going to allow King Josiah to die before Yahweh sent all this destruction upon Judah and Jerusalem. Why? Why was Yahweh merciful? Because Josiah was humble and recognized the righteousness in the book of the Torah. King Josiah 
And the high priest of Israel at that time submitted to the authoritative word of Yahweh that was given through a woman. Evidently, Huldah was seen by these men, these six men, as the spiritual advisor, or at least a spiritual advisor, for the entire nation of Judah. So, Huldah was not a plan B prophet. She was not plan two or three. She was plan A. Huldah bore witness that the things written in the book of Deuteronomy were true. A lot of scholars give her the weight of being the first person to canonize a portion of Holy Scripture because she said that what they found was authoritative, speaking for Yahweh. She interpreted sections of Deuteronomy. If you study her words that she gives, her prophetic words, they come from the book of Deuteronomy. And she interpreted them as applicable to what was going on in the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel at that time. So she performed the work of a prophet because she was a prophet. Why doesn't Huldah receive the respect that other prophets receive? I think there's two reasons. One is, like I said last week, a lot of people don't read or study the Older Testament. Okay? So that's one. But I think the main reason here is that Huldah is a female. She's a woman. That's why she doesn't receive the same respect. Things are said like this. Well, when the men don't step up, Yahweh has to use the women. And that's the exact same lame excuse that people give when you talk about Deborah, even though nothing says that in Judges 4 and 5 about Deborah. That's the excuse that people give because they don't like the, they don't like the fact that a woman led the nation of Israel in certain times. But when I hear people say that Yahweh has to use the women because the men need to be shamed and won't step up, I, it makes me wonder... Did Jeremiah and Zephaniah need to be shamed at this time? Because they were alive. They were prophets. Did Yahweh use Huldah to shame Jeremiah and Zephaniah? Of course not. They were holy men. They could have been consulted too. Yahweh didn't use a woman because men needed shaming. You know why Yahweh used a woman? Because He uses both men and women to do His work. He uses men, prophets... And women prophets. Had Jeremiah or Zephaniah been used in this case, no one had, would have ever made an attempt to make an excuse to why they were used. If Jeremiah had been consulted, the commentators would not even spend time wondering, well, why did he go to Jeremiah and not to Huldah? Why did he go to Jeremiah and not Zephaniah? There would have been no pages on the, on the comments on the book about it. But the same should go for Huldah. We should not even ask the question, why consult a woman? We should just submit to the fact that this is who the righteous King Josiah chose to consult because this person, Huldah, was closer to Yahweh. He was close to Yahweh in a way that neither, or she was close to Yahweh, in a way that neither he nor the high priest were at that time. Huldah held the closest and most authoritative role to Yahweh in the nation which is what the office of prophet was. She spoke the very words of Yahweh through her mouth to the king and the other men. And the righteous king Josiah did not dismiss Huldah and he did not seek a second opinion because she was a woman. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you 
to read all of 2 Kings 22 and then also 2 Kings 23. And then go from there to 2 Chronicles 34 and 35 and read the whole account. And you'll see that after Josiah got this prophetic word from Hold of the Prophetess, he did major reform in the nation of Judah. And one of the things that they did, and I love this, and I see this pattern often in the Bible in revival, true revival. So one of the things they did in that very year, the same year that they consulted Huldah, was the next time Passover rolled around, they celebrated Passover. And it was a huge Passover, way bigger than the ones we have. Thousands and thousands of animals involved and people, even more people involved in that. But I find that that Passover is a covenant feast and, and when Yahweh restores or revives people, that's one of the first things that they begin to do. And when a person falls away from Yahweh, that's one of the first things they stop doing is the covenant meal of the Pesach. So, how do people answer these Old Testament examples of women leaders and prophets and teachers that we've been looking at? Uh, women like Miriam and Deborah, we talked about them two last week, and then Huldah this week. Well, you know how people object or answer these? The same way that they answer when you share with them about the Sabbath or the feast days. They said that's Old Testament. Things are changed now in the New Testament economy. God may have worked through women teachers or women prophets back then, but it's different now. Although I find it strange that we find women prophets in the New Testament. They don't talk a whole lot about that. They usually rip Paul's writings out of context as well. And I found this today and it says Paul just called and he wants his context back. So I'd like to look at a video clip that I found um, a couple of weeks ago uh, where I'm just going to give a short 30 second clip of it. It's only like three minutes long in total, but where this particular fellow, he recognizes women like Miriam and Deborah and Huldah, but then he, he shoves them to the side because it's in the Old Testament. I want you to listen carefully. Yet another objection is in the relation to women who held positions of leadership in the Bible, specifically Miriam, Deborah, and Huldah in the Old Testament. It is true that these women were chosen by God for special service to Him, and that they stand as models of faith, courage, and yes, leadership. However, the authority of women in the Old Testament is not relevant to the issue of pastors in the church. The New Testament epistles present a new paradigm for God's people, the church, the body of Christ. And that paradigm involves an authority structure unique to the church, not for the nation of Israel or any other Old Testament entity. So there are two big problems with that video or that clip from that video. And the first problem is a complete dismissal of the Old Testament approved examples. So in my studies and my teaching, I like to be consistent. And I believe that the Old Testament is foundational and should never be dismissed. That clip said we recognize them, but that's the Old Testament economy. There's a different paradigm now in the New Testament. And the second problem is that this fellow and many people do not understand that the church, we call it church, existed in the Old Testament. Now that's a foreign concept to a lot of dispensational churches and pastors. But the same word that's used for church all through the New Testament, which is ecclesia in the Greek, is used in Acts chapter 7 verse 38 where Brother Stephen speaks of the church in the wilderness. 
Some Bibles will say congregation in the wilderness. The old King James says church in the wilderness. It's a Greek word, ecclesia. That church in the wilderness is the Hebrews' congregation. <laughs> so the church didn't just come into existence in the Newer Testament. It existed back in the wilderness. And as we discussed last week, the prophet Micah, chapter 6, verse 4, says that that church was led by Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Now, I've got a lot more to say here, but it's going to have to wait for another time. So let me talk about myself here for just a paragraph. I've been guilty of this same bad argumentation in the past, but I have repented of it, and I'm actively trying to do better. It's a humbling experience to study something or restudy something and find out that you taught wrongly on it. I guess Yahweh doesn't show us all of His truth at one time. And what this helps me to do is see how that Yahweh has been so patient with me. And so I have to be patient with other people. Sometimes I fail at that miserably because I get frustrated just like anybody else. But Yahweh doesn't show us all of His truth at one time. He could, I guess, but maybe it would blow our mind up. I don't know. But I know that He's just revealed things one at a time, little by little to me. But some things that I go back over and I study seem so easy for me to see now. And I wonder, why couldn't I see this before? So I try to always pray and ask Yahweh to make me humble before I read the Bible or study the Bible. And I would encourage you just to be humble in your studies. Yahweh will reward you with His pearls if you remain humble. Uh, what does the book of James say? He resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. I think that's somewhere in James. So in next week's lesson, I plan on moving into the Newer Testament. I wanted to cover the prophetess Anna in the book of Luke in this lesson, but when I got to studying about Huldah, I said, no, this needs a whole sermon because I had to lay the groundwork of King Josiah. So next week, I might talk about Anna. There's so many great women in Scripture. I'm not going to talk about all of them, but I do want to discuss the Samaritan woman in John 4. I want to talk about Mary Magdalene. Um, I might want to talk about Phoebe, one of the deacons in the church um, at a later time. But we're going to cover some of those women in other studies. And I want to particularly look at how Yeshua viewed and interacted with women in His ministry. And I want to challenge some of the preconceived notions in people's minds about certain women in his ministry, like the Samaritan woman or like Mary of Magdala. So that's all for this lesson today. I'm going to close this out in prayer and then we'll do our testimony and prayer request service. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your patience with me. Uh, Yahweh Father, I pray that you would Help us all to continue to read Your Word and open the eyes of our understanding when we do it. Yahweh, Father, I pray that You would use this lesson to gain prophetess hold of the recognition that she deserves like the other prophets. She will be mentioned more and respected more. We also thank You for great men like King Josiah who loved Yahweh in spite of seeing bad examples. Father, put us in a place where You can teach us and where we learn to love Your commandments more and more. That's the whole duty of man. is to fear You and keep Your commandments. 
That's a big thing we gain from this account. This truth in the Bible. Hallelujah. Amen. Y'all, we bless you.